This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 539, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, December the 27th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 539. It's our Comic Reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, December the 27th. That's right. Uh, Just when you thought you were totally done with 2017, uh, we have a a very late reviews episode to talk about the last gasp of releases from 2017. Um, So there's actually, you know, it's interesting always kind of see what comes out the last week of the year, um, again, right after Christmas. There's actually a lot of books that came out that week. Um, the books, some of the books I won't be having time to talk about, but uh, that does include the releases of uh, new issues of Action Comics, Amazing Spider-Man: New Year Vows, uh, Amazing Spider-Man that's 793, uh, Batgirl, uh, Ben Reilly's Scarlet Spider, Black Panther, Blue Beetle, Despicable Deadpool, Detective Comics, Invincible Iron Man, Justice League of America, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, uh, Nightwing: The New Order, which I'm actually really enjoying, but I haven't read this issue yet. Uh, Teen Titans, Thanos, The Demon, Hell is Earth, The Flash, and Wonder Woman. That's actually a lot of books, and that's just from the big two, right? So, like, there's a ton of books that came out that week. Um, I somehow only had a chance to read six of them, which is actually more than I've, I think, read in in most recent episodes, though. So that's actually not bad for me, considering it was the holidays, and then and then it was just felt like felt like the holidays never ended, and then when you're back at work. Um, it goes by quickly, but also very slow at the same time. Somehow this weird, uh, anachronistic kind of feeling of how time passes. Anyways, uh, let's talk about the books I did get a chance to read. So December 27th, big release, Doomsday Clock number two of 12 by Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Um, I was not a huge fan of this. Um, I thought at times it wasn't necessarily the most clear what was happening. I thought it was, it could have been clearer. Um, the storytelling... Again, it was okay. I, I like that there's, it feels that there's a lot of content. And again, this feels much more like a Watchmen issue than anything touching the DC Universe, although finally there is a connection to the DC Universe right at the end, um, or in the last little bit. Um, the big kind of reappearance of the comedian, I don't know how that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I... I think that this is the type of series that once you can read it all at once, I think it'll be better. Um, I think it's trying to ape, obviously, that some certain stylistic uh, decisions from the original Watchmen, but I don't think there's as much depth yet. Um, I think it'll be there, um, and there's some interesting moments here um, with the idea of the Rorschach cast, etc. Um, I just don't know if it's there yet. But you know, and I guess that's part of the problem is that we're two issues in. Um, so one-sixth of the story, and I don't know if we're really getting enough development for two issues in of a 12-issue story. Um, but it's starting to feel a little bit bigger, and we're finally going to get to more of the actual um, DC and Watchmen characters meeting up now. Um, so hopefully that'll kind of kickstart things. Um, it looks gorgeous. It's just, for me, hasn't really hit the mark yet in terms of the writing. Uh, I'm going to give it a six. Uh, next up is Jessica Jones, issue 15. Um, this is, I guess, Bendis' last storyline on the character. Uh, it's Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos, and it's, uh, what is it, The Return of the Purple Man, um, which I feel like they've, they've just done so much things with Jessica over the years that having a storyline like this where, I mean, The Purple Man was really interesting when uh, Mark Wade used him in Daredevil, um, kind of take of the character and not just having her him just be kind of a Jessica Jones character. Uh, now, obviously, he is an important uh, part to play in that character's development and obviously in the TV show as well. Um, I don't know. I felt, I felt that with this, I was actually surprised when uh, Purple Man was shot. That I didn't expect. 
And I also love the idea that Craven the Hunter is being contracted by Carol, um, Carol Danvers and, um, and uh, Nick Fury. I thought that was really cool. And then he gets up, and he's like, he can't really die. And I, then I was bored because um, I, I, I was legitimately surprised and like, whoa, did they just do that? Like, that's cool. And then it felt like it became a lot more predictable when he didn't die. Um, so I, I'm going to give the issue maybe like a six. I think Gatos did a great job. Uh, I think Bendis kind of dropped the ball a little just because the story had so much there's so much there like it was I, as i said like i was actually i was like whoa that's cool and the idea of using craven was a cool idea and then it just kind of goes oh well well that's all the kind of excitement i had quickly drained out of of my face as i continued to read it uh next up is phoenix resurrection the return of gene gray part one uh issue one by rosenberg and you um so that's this is an interesting one. So Matthew Rose, Rosenberg wrote it. Lionel Francis Yu is the penciler. I would say it's not Yu's best work. Um, at times, it was a little unclear exactly what was happening. But I, and I think that's more a problem with the first few pages. I think after that, it felt more like vintage Yu in a, in a good way. Uh, and Rosenberg does a fairly good job with the story. It just felt confusing, but I think that's part of, I mean, it definitely makes you wonder, and I, it definitely get, got me in, because, um, you know, the inciting incident at the beginning is just like, what, what, what is going on? That's weird. And then the X-Men get called in, and then things start going kind of pear-shaped, and I love the idea that, you know, they, they think something bad is about to happen, they're breaking off into squads, it definitely makes it seem like a, a bigger X story when they do something like that, and that, that part's kind of cool, although I wish they spend a little bit more time on how the teams were chosen and who's there, but whatever, you can't do everything with everything. Um, and then we kind of go from there, and you have like characters that shouldn't even be around uh, fighting against the X-Men, which is kind of cool and makes you wonder how they're there and how they got there. And then you have this vision of it looks like it's Jean Grey. How is Jean there? Um, you know, she's... Sean Cassidy's there. He's Banshee. He's dead. And then Scott shows up at the end. Like, so it definitely made me interested. Um, I, when I first read it, I don't even know if I knew for sure how I felt about it. And then the second time, I'm like, you know what? He's seeing mysteries here. He's getting a sense. You're getting a sense of the scope of how big the story is by having everyone kind of break off into squads and again fighting kind of these ghosts. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so I'll give it an eight. Uh, Spider-Man Two Number Five. This is written by Brian Michael Bendis, artwork by Sarah Pacelli, and. This felt like it dropped like a giant thud. Sorry, this is technically by Bacelli and uh, Bagley. Um, but part of it was fine. I mean, part of it with the, the fight with Taskmaster was fine. Um, but from there, I thought it really just felt like, what was the point of this? Um, you have Miles Morales, go, the, sorry, the old Miles Morales, the 616 Miles Morales, find an ultimate universe and find his girl from a different world. And I'm just like, what, what's the point of that? And you see, like, an Ultimate Universe where there's a version of the Ultimates, but Riri Williams is there, and it looks like Peter Parker's still there, and Spider-Woman. Like, I just felt like, what's the point of that? And also, what's the point of... I, I just don't know what... What's the point of any of this? Like, I, I guess it's just frustrating that we had... Spider-Man 1 was interesting and exciting, and, and now I, I've said before that I don't know if Miles Morales has as much of a place anymore because his reason for being a Spider-Man was cool and but very universe-specific, and now they've taken that away from him, and I don't think they've really given him a good sense of purpose. And then there's an issue like this, which I think undermines that more, um, and the fact that there's an ultimate universe out there, like I don't even know if I care 
Um, and I don't even know if Bendis cares. Like, I just felt like this whole thing felt like a mess. Um, the art was great. I mean, if I had to break it down, I would do like maybe a one for story and a four for art. So I'm going to give this a five, but really that's, that's because of Sarah Pacelli. Like her artwork can no, do no wrong. And Bagley's pages look fantastic. <laughs> Excuse me. Fantastic. But that's just Bagley. And he's always fantastic. Um, so yeah, I just was very, very let down. Uh, it wasn't a great series. And now looking back on it, I'm like, did he know that he was going to leave at that point, or he was probably going to try and go to DC. So then that's why he did this, so that he'd finally be able to kind of do this Spider-Man 2 before he left. I don't know. It makes me wonder. And uh, we got Suicide Squad 32. I recently read, like, I think five issues of Suicide Squad. So this is um, the, kind of the end of the, the storyline about the old Task, Task Force X, the yeah, Secret History of Task Force X finale by Rob Williams and uh, pencil art by Scott Eden. There was a bunch of different artists throughout this uh Throughout this um, storyline, I thought Eden actually did a really good job. It was nice and clean. Um, the story is not super complex, especially at this point. It was just kind of a giant brouhaha. Um, but I liked where they leave certain characters, and it was actually kind of sad. Like the Enchantress and uh, Killer Croc, that legitimately made me sad for those characters. I really liked how they were developing that relationship, and seeing Waylon like this was just so sad. Uh, and seeing her, the reaction that uh, June had to it. And then uh, even Rick Flagg and Harley Quinn, I thought was really kind of interesting to see how that was developed. And uh, the only thing that bugged me is that you have this whole idea about, um, what, what is it even called, the red shift or uh, whatever. And uh, after all this, they go through all this to stop this, and they know that... Um, you know, the, the red wave, sorry, the red wave is, has infected Faraday and this other girl, Karen, and uh, she just escapes with this this um, this biological kind of weapon, this infection in her, and that's not part of the main story, it's part of the backups. And obviously, the backups were about Faraday, and it made sense in some ways, but it's also like, well, that's a pretty big climactic thing to just have in a two-page backup that's not technically part of the main story, that could easily be missed. Um, so that was kind of weird. I'm going to give the issue a seven. It wasn't it wasn't the, I mean, it's not like the high, most high-minded book, but it's fun. It kind of gets the job done, and there's some good character moments uh, near the end. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to give that a 7. And last but not least, we have X-Men Blue 18. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, it's the Crosstime Capers Part 3 by Colin Bunn and R.B. Silva. Um, I love, I really like how R.B. Silva's come along as an artist. I'm really enjoying the writing as well by... Uh, Colin Bunn and seeing the Gen X kind of version of the characters and the idea that you know history has been messed with is really interesting. I really like to see the the uh, the kind of ending where we see some of the characters in very modified uh, states, but it's very interesting to see how the X Men eventually uh, turned back turned on everyone, which is cool. Uh, excited to see what goes next and uh, yeah, and even just that last page of seeing the classic X Men going up against Magneto. That was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I would give X-Men Blue 18 a nice big 8, because uh, that book has been consistently enjoyable for most of the run. I'm trying to think. I think most issues are probably given a 7 or higher. Um, it's been a good book. Our next reviews episode, which, I mean, we'll be talking about, I guess, January 3rd releases. Um, hopefully that'll be up in a few days, and I can finally get a handle on the Comic Shenanigans release schedule. Um, 
I've already read three of those books. Hopefully I'll be able to read more. Astonishing X-Men, Batman, and Captain America. Um, some of the other releases coming up that we'll be talking about in our next episode. Um, hopefully I'll be able to talk about Green Lanterns, Iron Fist, Justice League, uh, Phoenix Resurrection, The Return of Jean Grey Part 2, um, Rise of the Black Panther, Rogue and Gambit, that looks fun. Uh, new issue of Star Wars, I'm almost, almost caught up on that. New issue of Superman. Uh, there's X-Men Grand Design. I haven't read issue one yet, but I'm, I hope I can get caught up. And then X-Men Gold as well. Anyways, thank you for listening to this episode of Comic Shenanigans. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Our next episode will be up in a day or two. Uh, it'll be a non-reviews episode. Not really sure what it's going to be yet. The episode after that is going to be another reviews episode. And then we're going to have, hopefully, a conversation with Tom Orzachowski. And if I got that wrong, hopefully I'll clarify it when I speak to the man on Wednesday. He's the legendary colorer, sorry, colorer, legendary letterer, uh, especially for doing a lot of lettering on Chris Claremont's books over the years. Um, so I'm really excited to chat with him. And then the following week will likely be a conversation with Steve Englehart. Um, the week after that might be a conversation with Jamal Eichel. And we have a few other things that uh, are hopefully percolating as well. Judd Winnick uh, hopefully will be on the show soon as well. So I'm really excited uh, to have these people on the show soon. So uh, there will be some great content as we roll through January and February. Uh, February will also have the spotlight on the Black Panther film when that comes out as well. With the uh, typical podcast crew, I'm guessing it will probably be uh, T-Board Mate. Um, uh, we've got Tim um, Tim Kerr, who's our, our kind of our new uh, addition. Um, we also got probably Paul Scores and Chris Lucas. Uh, hopefully, those will be uh, the the typical crew will return and reunite uh, for that particular episode. And then, um, yeah, so we're, we have a bunch of new, good new interviews, and uh, we hope to have great interviews uh, continuing throughout. I think uh, March and April. I'm working on a few others and um, always trying to get more irons in the fire. I want to have J.K. Woodward back on the show soon now that um, Broken, uh, Mirror Broken has ended. Um, and he had said, well, you know, I should come back when, the sh- when, it, when it's over. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So I'll have to reach out to him soon to try and get him back on the show as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Comic Shenanigans and that you're enjoying your 2018 so far. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.